Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Last week, I was on my way to work when the phone rang and uh, on the end of the phone was a very distraught lady who told me that her sister and my friend had just passed away. It was very sudden, very unexpected. And uh, they said, would I come to the house? Would I come and join the family at her residence? So I drove back to Openshaw, arrived and found a police car and an ambulance outside. And then this kind of small group of the family huddled in the cold and we weren't allowed inside. So we just stood for hours outside the property. And it's there that you begin to talk about your experiences, talk about what happened, try to piece together those last moments, what might have gone on in that property, a real, real tragedy, so little information. And so we began to ask each other, you know, when did you see Alaska and was she unwell and what did she say? And it was just so tough. You know, the last I'd heard, she was looking to move house. She'd um, try to start life all over again. She'd been super poorly before Christmas, but she'd gotten so well that she felt like she'd had a new lease of life. She had this new hope to live for. My last message from her was some kind affirmation about our friendship, but now she was gone. And the only evidence we have of her final moments was the very, really strong smell of heroin every time a police officer came through the door and uh, joined us outside, we kind of get this big waft of heroin smoke. Last words are really precious. Last words are really important. They carry weight and they carry significance and they, they, they convey a powerful message. They can speak of what's been and they can set our eyes towards what is to come. If you listen to some of the famous last words, take for example, George Best, one of the best footballers of all time, he, dying an alcoholic, said, don't die like I did. Bob Marley said, money can't buy your life. And Sir Winston Churchill hugely disappointingly said, I'm bored with it all, just moments before he died. But if you look at some of the legends of the faith, the heroes of the faith, they say some incredible things. One of my favourites, William Booth, turned to his son, on his deathbed and said, and the homeless children, Bramwell, look after the homeless, promise me. And then you get someone like uh, John Wesley, the evangelist and the, the guy who founded the Methodist faith. And he says, best of all is God is with us. And then he passed away. And these are the, the words of the great evangelist, Billy Graham. These are the words that he put at the very bottom of his last will and testament. It says this, I urge you all who shall read this document to read and study the scriptures and to trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Incredibly powerful words. Today we land this series of 2 Timothy and we're looking at the Apostle Paul's last will and testament, chapter 4. And it also almost feels like a will. It starts in verse 1 with, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in a view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is 
his final words, the last known writings, this final letter before he is going to be martyred. In the next few moments or the next following days, following the penning of this last letter to Timothy, his life will be taken from him. At that time, many Christians are being executed by Emperor Nero and Paul is going to be one of them. It's believed that he's spared from crucifixion like many Christians because he was a Roman citizen. He instead would be beheaded. He'd be taken outside the city walls and they say he was killed on this road called Ostian Way, where today there's like a church called the Priscilla of St. Paul outside the walls. But his last words are incredible. Verse six says, for I'm already poured out like a drink offering. And at the time of my and the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is stored up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. It's just so good. Epic, powerful words. He knows his life is coming to an end. Maybe already he's received his death sentence, but he writes this. For I am being poured out like a drink offering. Now, a drink offering, you might not know that phrase, but a drink offering was wine poured on top of a sacrifice. And Paul, if you've read Romans 12, one of my favorite passages, Romans 12, 1, where he talks about being a living sacrifice. Now, Paul's life, his sacrificial life is having the final offering poured and emptied upon it. And the drink offering was uh, only completed by the Israelites once they'd reached the promised land. And I wonder if Paul is saying, I've made it to my destination. The promised land is just around the corner. And yet when I read, there doesn't seem like there's any fear or anxiety. Like he's facing impending death. Like he's going to lose his head. I'd be full on pooing my pants. But yet he speaks, he writes with such courage, such incredible assurance, total conviction that the death is not the end. Confident in his salvation, that his salvation has been won by Christ. And so he faces death with assurance. If you faced death today, how would you be feeling? Paul has utter assurance in Christ. There are no doubts. There are no regrets. And this is how he reflects on his life. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I've wrestled. I've run. And I've never let go of my faith. I want to be able to say this. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to get to the end of my life and know that I spent it well, that I did what God wanted me to. Through the ups and downs of life, I just kept going, wrestling with my sin and never giving up, always running and holding firm to my faith. I don't want to die with regrets that I lived selfishly, that, that I followed my heart and I took the wrong path, that I fell out of love with Jesus and I fell in love with the world, that I didn't consider my faith worthy of keeping. So what does it look like to fight the good fight, 
to finish the race, to keep the faith. Well, let's look at Paul's final instructions to Timothy and let's use those as a guide. He says in verse two, preach the word, publicly proclaim the gospel, get the, the message of the good news out there. People need to know about Jesus, so tell them. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that we all get megaphones or, or like a, um, a, you know, a, a big loudspeaker system and head to Piccadilly Gardens. I'm not saying we should all go out there and stand very awkwardly with placards telling people they're going to hell, but share your testimony. Share your faith journey. Talk to people about your faith in Christ. Gossip the good news of the kingdom. Tell them about the hope that you have in Christ. Paul says, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, correct, rebuke and encourage. Are you gospel ready? Get prepared. Be ready when the going is good and when it's not, when you're up for it and when you're not, when, you're, when it's convenient and when it's not. Prepare to teach the truth and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. That's what Peter writes. But Paul recognises that is a really tough thing. In a world where people don't care about your truth, where their itching ears are looking for stuff, only the stuff that they want to hear. And therefore, Paul says, so teach with great patience and careful instruction. And Paul says, keep your head in all situations, which is kind of ironic because he's just about to lose his head from his shoulders. But in a world where everybody's losing their head, keep your head about you. Stay strong in the Lord. And Paul says, endure hardship. Do you see how this is a list of things to keep us going on that battle in that long running race? Endure hardship. Now, you know what? I confess I would rather not endure hardship. I wish I could promise you this morning that there's an easy life for believers, that, that somehow believing in Jesus is going to make everything good and everything easy. But there seems to be this way in which salvation and suffering are intertwined. Look at what Paul says about his life of suffering. This is what he writes in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger of false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without food and sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's a tough old list, right? But we're going to face setbacks and suffering, affliction, pain and loss in our journey of faith. But we are commended to keep enduring, keep going, fight on, keep on running when your legs tell you it's time to stop. Don't let your circumstances distort your view of God. Don't let your suffering rob you of your salvation.
And Paul goes on. He writes, do the work of an evangelist. Now, you might be thinking, look, that is just not my gifting. Other people seem to be gifted with that. But we're all called to be bringers of good news. We're all called to the missionary life, which is what Paul is exhorting us to. You don't have to travel the world to be a missionary. You can cross the street. You can go next door. Use your life for the forwarding of the kingdom. And finally, Paul writes this, discharge all your duties of your ministry. Discharge all that you've been asked. Fulfill your ministry calling. Keep on serving. The temptation when it gets tough is to just sit back and just survive. Paul exhorts us, keep on going. He knows it isn't easy, that the fight is dangerous, that the race is long and hard. He writes about some people who just don't make it through. I feel so sorry for him. Right at the point of his death, you'd hope that someone with such significance of Paul would, would have surrounded by loved ones who would be cheering him on. But he finds himself alone. He lists this bunch of guys that have journeyed with him on, on the missionary journeys, but now they are long gone and he's alone at the point of death. Maybe some of them have gone on to do great missionary work, but there's this few that have fallen away from the faith and how heartbreaking that is. Demas, for example. Demas, if you read the other letters of, of Paul, gets name-checked twice in his earlier letters. He's called a fellow worker, but yet Demas hasn't fought the good fight he hasn't won the race he hasn't kept the faith and I don't know whether persecution was too hard or the temptation of the world was too strong but Paul writes Demas because he loved the world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica I don't know what that place was like maybe it was like Las Vegas or Blackpool who knows and then he talks about Alexander the metal worker great surname I like that who it is believed is probably the reason why Paul is in prison and why Paul is going to die now. He has been, he's fallen so far away from the faith that he now stands in direct opposition to Paul. But Paul has made it to the end. And with death knocking at his door, he knows he's fulfilled everything that Jesus required of him. Now, he says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. The assurance again is so strong. That great prize of grace awaits him. A crown of righteousness will be awarded to him. And now when you read that, it's almost as if the crown has been earned somehow. That his good deeds have warranted this great crown of righteousness. But do not be deceived. Paul would not want you to believe that. All his monumental efforts in spreading the gospel and planting churches before Christ are worthy of nothing. The crown Paul writes about is not the crown of his victory, is not the crown for a great preacher, not the crown of church planting, not the crown of the good fight, not the crown of the race, but the crown of righteousness. The crown given to him by the righteous one, Christ, the true victor, the one who has defeated sin and death, whose righteousness paid the price 
but Paul's sin. And Paul writes, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. So if death came to you, would you be as assured as Paul on your deathbed? Would you be able to share those same words that Paul gives us today? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Paul did not leave, live a perfect life. Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. He's responsible for the imprisoning and the, and the killing of the early Christians. But yet facing death, he awaits a crown of righteousness, a crown so undeserved. But the loving grace of God through Christ gives him the gift that will secure his eternity. Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, chapter five. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But Christ, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I read this chapter. It means so much to me. I read this chapter to a young man on his deathbed. A 17-year-old lad that I'd been working with for years was dying of cancer. And my mum had said to me, make sure you never stop praying over him. Read scripture over him. And so I'd take my Bible and I'd do my daily devotions at his bedside in the hospital. And I got to my daily readings and it was that passage from Romans chapter five. And as I read through those words, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I said to him, isn't Christ incredible? Isn't Christ amazing how he dies not for the perfect, but for the messed up and for the sinners that he gives his life for us? And the young man said, yes, yes to the grace of God, yes to the love of Christ, who dies for the ungodly, who gives up his life for us. And that yes was his last word. That yes to Jesus was the last thing that came from his mouth. And so it doesn't matter how bad you've been, how many mistakes you've made it doesn't matter how much of your life has already been spent you can make a decision today to live by faith in Christ's saving power to devote the, your remaining days to fighting the good fight to running the race and to keeping the faith in the hope of Christ's welcome in the hope of his righteousness, his crown being given to you in grace and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant.